0: Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Today's guest is Dr. Yanina Gomez. Dr. Yanina is a psychologist, author, and speaker, and she's the lead author of the book we're discussing today. It's called Crush Self-Sabotage and Live Fully, The Artist's Wellness Journey to Confidence and Success. Dr. Yanina wrote this book with her husband, who's an artist and gallery owner, so she has this unique overlap where she draws on her background in psychology, but also is so immersed in the art world that she has this unique perspective. I want to be clear that even though this book is targeted at artists, I'm sure we all have areas in our life where negative thinking, maybe some self-sabotaging creeps in. And I know that we can all take something away from Dr. Nina's insights and practical advice on emotional wellness. So let's jump in. Okay, Dr. Gomez, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Whitney. I'm so excited to be here.
0: I'm really excited to get to everything in your book. So let's start. I want a little bit of background because there are some specific reasons why you focus this book, even though we'll get into the fact that it's Very full of universal truths. But I want to know how you chose to write a book that's specifically tailored to artists.
1: Oh, I love that question. So the reason is because my husband and I, we have been working with artists for quite a few years. We founded the Art Next Level Academy, which is an online academy for artists who are interested in developing a sustainable art career. So my husband is very into, you know, his specialty is marketing, sales, anything related to art. He's an artist himself and a curator. We also own an art gallery in Chicago. So that kind of gives you an idea why artists. And one of the things that was happening in the academy, and I guess why, what is my role in the academy is that I provide mindset and emotional wellness Support and mindset and emotional wellness programming. So, what happens is after what uh, COVID or during COVID, you know, the whole thing about how do I handle this pandemic? You know, now we are in lockdown. Now we are separated from each other. Now there's all these internal wounds that are coming up because we're not as busy as we used to be. And now we are providing that opportunity for our inner parts to express themselves and be heard due to this silence and lockdown and all these different things. So we offer uh, live Q&As in the academy for student members. And, there were a lot of emotional and mindset questions that were arising and issues. And it came to the point that, OK, you know, instead of answering one of these questions, you know, I'm going to dedicate it to write a book, which happens to be one of the books that I have in my head, Crush Self-Sabotage and be Fully is my second book. But I was not going to write it as number two. It was going to be number three. But all these different issues that we, you know, our members were experiencing, experiencing rather, led me to say, you know what, I think we're going to have to work on crush self-sabotage and live fully because there's so many things going on, those inner critics are so loud and all these different experiences that our members are experiencing and all these self-sabotage, all these toxic thoughts that it's time for me to focus on that area. So in a nutshell, that's why the focus is on artists. It was inspired by our student members in the academy. But at the end of the day, we all go through all these issues. We all experience self-sabotage. So it is applicable to anyone who wants to experience a fuller life.
0: I think that's such a a special and unique overlap with what you do clinically and how you can plug into the art world. So Mm -hmm. let's bring that forward. But that said, I agree. The book had a lot of universal truth and we might want to discuss it using some artists examples, but I think we're all our own worst enemies sometimes. And we can all benefit Mm -hmm. from these mindset and emotional wellness conversations. Mm -hmm. So tell us why it's kind of natural for us to get in our own way when it comes to sharing something we maybe were excited about creating.
1: Or even goals that you have set for yourself, whether it's professional goals or creative goals. Uh, And this is true to any goal that you have set for yourself. Like, for example, if I am an Enneagram type one, Mm -hmm. and for those who are familiar with the Enneagram, that's the perfectionist. So if, you are a perfectionist, of course, that will influence the way you think about yourself because you want everything to be perfect before you show it to the world. Because there's so many things going on that inner critic is reminding you of past experiences and all these different things that everything has to be perfect in order for you to share with the world or in order for you to make a decision. I have to make sure that everything has aligned perfectly before I step ahead, right? That's one way that we are quite our worst enemies because we have that kind of mentality of that kind of thinking another thing is fear intimidation you know we're intimidated by those haters those who are going to criticize us what if they find out about me who I'm really are and I go like in you know I'm trying to be a little sarcastic here because it's just all those are ideas that we allow our brain to foster and sometimes believe in and Sometimes it's actual past experiences that you went through something, you tried to do something outside of your comfort zone, and unfortunately, it did not go as planned and the results, the consequences were painful. And you have that inner critic that is not wanting to experience that again. So kind of like that little part of inside of you that tells you, oh, I don't know, you went through this already. Uh, Why are you trying? again. But the thing about that inner critic, and I'm sure maybe I'm getting ahead here, but the thing about that inner critic is that our inner critic or critics, they're not our enemies. They're not our enemies. They are there for a reason. They have a job and their job is to protect us from possible failures and disappointments. And these inner critics did not come out of, out of the blue. You know, these parts, they can come out of uh, maybe childhood wounds, painful experiences, right? That we did not have the tools that we need to deal with those experiences or did not have the maturity to deal. So those inner critics are always there protecting us. And I see them, you know, to me, I love my inner critics, but you have to learn to have that inner conversation and inner reflection and understand and balance all those voices out. But it's basically that, you know, it's just us Imagining things and creating a situation that has not happened, but oftentimes, let's give it at the benefit of the doubt. Oftentimes, it's because of past experiences. We're avoiding this uncomfortable experiences and feelings that we that we experienced before, and we don't think that. Perhaps we were not ready or perhaps we did not have the necessary tools, the inner tools or outer tools to deal with the situation, which is why it turned out to be not as good as we wanted to. So we, you know, we don't give ourselves that opportunity to reflect and go within and say, OK, I had that failure, if you want to label it that way. But what happened? Why? What did I learn not to do again? We don't give ourselves that opportunity to do, mm-hmm. to have these inner in conversations.
0: I definitely, there's so much in what you said that I want to come back to. I'm going to put a pin in because I loved what you said about our inner critic not being our enemy. And more, mm-hmm. um, I want to come back to how we can kind of like see the inner critic as our necessary partner. But real quickly, let's as sidestep. Ally. Yeah. Let's sidestep real quickly because you're talking also about how sometimes it's past experiences that maybe we haven't even really realized were still with us or deeply impacted us. Mm -hmm. And something that came up for me when I was reading your book was that our brains more readily hold on to negative input than positive input. And I thought that that was kind of helpful for people to understand in the context of this Mm -hmm. conversation. Tell us a little Mm -hmm. bit more about that.
1: Yeah, it's the whole idea that it's easier to remember the bad experiences because our brain uses less work to process the information and perhaps to rationalize the experience uh, when bad things happen because we immediately associate it with, oh, this is something bad. Oh, this is just painful. You know, we have all these labels that are ready to be used when we experience something that is negative. Now, when we experience that something that is positive, our brain needs a little bit more work because it's like, wait a minute. What happened here? And then you start thinking, hmm, why is this person so nice? Or maybe this was just pure luck. And you start trying to find excuses to justify the beauty of life, to justify the blessings because we're so used to just go through the emotions and trying to figure things out. And honestly, our brain is in in that stage on how can I survive? And usually when we are in survival mode, our attitude is like, okay, let me see, wait, what's going on? You immediately go into that raw state in your life. And you don't use more rationalization. You don't try to figure things out. But when negative arrives, the first thing you do, you want to defend yourself, right? It's just mm-hmm. the fight, flight, or freeze kind of response mm-hmm. that we, that we know of. That's easy. That comes out easier. Brain just shut it out of us, you know, but when it's something positive, it just takes time to process and enjoy it.
0: I just wanted to circle back a little bit to inner critic because that I really want to drill into this more. And there was a lot that came up. So how do we know when our inner critic is driving our behaviors or emotions?
1: That's another very good question. Your questions are wonderful. The whole idea of, you know, when you are in, in, in the self, you know, which is your core, there's, there should be peace right? There should be peace within that you're going to make a decision and you're at peace with it. And you know, you're aware of the possible consequences. You're aware that there might be hurdles. You're aware that there might be challenges, but you're at peace with that decision that you have made for yourself to move forward, to get out of that comfort zone that is just keeping you like small and not growing. So what happens is that what they, as I mentioned before, that inner critic, the job is to protect you from these possible failures and disappointments, or these ugly feelings that you don't want to experience again. Oftentimes, your inner critic is going to come in a way that is going to almost scare you, almost intimidate you to help you stop and rethink and go back to that comfortable couch. And that's kind of like in a in a simple way. That's how I personally know when my inner critic is trying to dominate. Because oftentimes my inner critic or critics is gonna put in front of me all these horrifying possibilities that we don't even know because we're not even there. So the key here is to allow that inner dialogue and allow that inner critic to express herself or or, or himself and, and explain to you the reasons behind. It's as simple as closing your eyes and just letting your inner critic go and go and say what he or she has to say or it, right? And then think about this. Okay. I'm listening. I'm listening to what you're saying. However, what about the facts that I have here that proves or show or encourage me to move forward? And then, you know, the way I teach this concept to my students is this, you know, have this inner dialogue. It's just like a court of law. You are not proven guilty until... You have the facts. So treat your inner critic that way. Listen, be curious. Don't come in in a way that, oh, this inner critic is driving me crazy. No, because this inner critic is your ally, wants to protect you. Sometimes they have a reason to do it. And sometimes they're right. And sometimes we need to listen. That's why you have to give yourself that opportunity and allow and make space for that inner dialogue and listen to your inner critic. And and then you will see that as you have this inner conversation, you're going to calm that inner critic down. And I mean, it's a beautiful experience, but you have to give yourself some time to do this. You're going to calm that inner critic down and and possibly it's going to back off. Right. And be by your side. They're always by your side right here. I see them right here. And there are two parts that are my inner critics. I have them side by side by my ears when they are upset and they're trying to convince me they're right in front of me, you know, covering me from what is ahead. I cannot see what's ahead because they're in front of me. But that inner dialogue is going to back off a little bit and let me move forward.
0: This concept, it's come up before on the podcast, but we haven't done an episode that just like really drills into it. And I'm so glad you're here for this because I think it's needed. What are some classic examples of you working with women and you have this like, yeah, that's your inner critic. And they just Mm -hmm. like, don't even realize that that's been happening. Like, what are some of the most common ways you see the inner critic coming up for women that maybe they haven't built that awareness of that could be limiting their lives.
1: It goes back to what I've mentioned before, the whole idea that the inner critic oftentimes comes like in a harsh way with harsh comments or stories or uh, examples. It comes in a way to intimidate you so that you don't move forward. That's kind of like a little bit the, the way I can identify my inner critic is that coming across harsh and in a punitive way, in a, in a sense, because the whole idea is to stop you from moving forward to stop you from getting out of your comfort zone so if it's a, that inner voice that is more peaceful that is giving you peace I would not consider that an inner critic unless you have done that inner work and you have that inner dialogue and you have developed those skills and tool that toolbox that you need to deal with your inner critic because oftentimes again when you convince your inner critic that this is the right way we facts, that inner critic is going to back off and it's going to support you it's going to be okay you know it's 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 all in your hands now let me back i'm backing off but usually most times in my experience is that they come That it's that harsh intimidating voice that tells you stop don't go there so that's kind of how i i know when that inner critic it's all empowered i think
0: think we can all sense that so Let me mirror this back to you a little bit. So we know it's the inner critic kind of trying to run the show when she's harsh and abrasive and kind of like condescending maybe is Mm a word that comes up to me. And instead of shutting her out those ways, we want to ally. I loved your word, Mm -hmm. make Mm -hmm. her invite her to be an ally. Mm -hmm. And you talked a lot about just kind of pausing and allowing to have a conversation and actually presenting like, is that true? Is that true? Is this Mm -hmm. the fact? And just Mm -hmm. allowing breathing room. Do you have any other just practical strategies for when we get to that point of awareness where we're like, okay, there's my inner critic. You're invited to the party now. Dr. Gomez Mm -hmm. told me I could let you in, but- What are some other strategies for partnering with your Mm -hmm. inner critic?
1: Yeah, again, that inner dialogue is number one. And finding those facts that show that you can do what you have decided to do, that you can achieve that goal that you set for yourself. For example, say that you want to go back to school. And of course, if you're a mom, an example that if you're a mom and you have children, immediately there's going to be a lot of your inner critic is going to bring all these different reasons why not to go back to school. But then what is important here is to find your why, right? Why do you want to go to school? Just rekindle that inner fuel that is causing you that desire to move forward to make this big decision? Do I want to rent an apartment or do I want to buy a house? You know, do I want to, like I said, go back to school or just not go back to school? Do do I want to try and apply to that job opportunity that just happened in my, the company that I work for, or should I stay where I am? So it's the whole idea of sitting down and going back to that inner toolbox and find out why. Why is it that I want to do here? And what circumstances motivate me to achieve this goal or to take this route or to take this journey? What are the circumstances? Who are the people that inspire me? Because oftentimes people do, like for parents, I want the best for my children, right? And I'm doing this for my kids. For women that don't have children, I want that for me, for, for my personal growth or to make my parents proud, whatever that reason or reasons are, take the time to define them and identify that because sometimes we want to do things so fast in our lives that we don't take the time to just back off, breathe in and out and think why define the reasons why you want to make that decision or achieve that goal or whatever it is. You know, think about those days when you feel determined, strong and grateful. What makes you feel that way? Why? And document this. There's a difference between us thinking about it, but we have to write it down. And I don't know about you, but every time I write something down to me becomes formal right? And so type it on a piece of paper, put it on your wall, on your smartphone, maybe print it and post it somewhere, maybe in your mirror, in your bathroom mirror. So when you get up in the morning, you see, you remind yourself of of your why. So all these are strategies that will calm down down that inner critic, because at the end of the the day, you want your inner critic to say, oh, she's got it. She knows what she's doing. I'm going to back off and let her be. And that's when your inner critic becomes that ally. But there has to be a process. There has to be that dialogue. There has to be, you got to create that space for you to bring clarity to your life. The more clarity you bring to your life, the better it will be, the less conflict you will have with your inner critic. Does it make What's, sense? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: and it's a lot, but I, I really think just briefly, like, I like how you're bringing it back to your why and having that so prevalent in your day to day life. I'm a writer, I journal, I talk about that all the time on the show, and I, but I like just printing or even for visual people having a, yes. an image. Cause it seems like if you just have this constant reminder of why mm-hmm. you're m- moving towards something in some ways, it could like lessen or counteract your inner critic a little bit. Cause it's just like a constant subconscious reminder of like, mm-hmm. this is why I'm doing this. Yeah. This is why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. And just kind of coming back to that in small moments every day. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Because a consistency
1: and intentionality changes behavior. You know, like when we talk about habits that we want to create a new habit, whether it's working out, eating healthier, whatever it is, you have to do it consistently and you have to be intentional about it. And you have to use whatever tools out there available to you out there to remind yourself, like in my case, I have my notes and my, my uh, reminders. And sometimes I what I just share with you. I do that too. You know, that's how our brain works. And that's another topic for another podcast, but then there's a such a thing called neuroplasticity, you know, where you rewire your brain to adopt healthier thinking it is possible. It can be done, but it can be done through consistency and intentionality. And the more you expose yourself to that, Even if you don't, like if you want to change a behavior and you are not there yet, what you could tell yourself day after day, where do you want to be, even though you're not there yet, eventually there's going to be some neurological connections in your brain and it's going to click, right? And then it's going to become, you're going to adopt that new way of thinking. You're going to adopt that new belief. It's going to come the day that it's going to be a reality to you but it's consistency, repetition, repetition, repetition through reading your, if you have a mantra, if you have an affirmation uh, that describes exactly where you want to be. So you're constantly every day telling yourself, this is where I want to be. And always in present tense, that's one thing I always say, affirmations, they got to be in present tense. Every day you tell yourself that you will no longer allow fear to control your life day after day. Eventually it's going to click in your head and you're going to stop allowing fear to control your life. And you're going to be so excited and so surprised that you're like, oh my gosh, I just went through this situation that I'm usually intimidated by it. And I did it fine. That's how it works. But you have to condition yourself and convince yourself to do these things.
0: I definitely, I want to make sure we have a little bit of time to get into, it's tangential to the inner critic, but the negative thinking traps that creatives and I think everybody falls into. And I know there's lots, but I wanted to just focus in for time's sake on catastrophic thinking, because Mm -hmm. I think that all of us know somebody or are some, or we are somebody who it's really easy if we want to try something new or we want to do something, it's easy to immediately jump to all the reasons why it could be a disaster. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like that is self-defeating. So tell us a little bit more about your discussion of catastrophic thinking. And then I want to talk about some practical exercises for people to try when they kind of hit the negative or catastrophic thinking in general.
1: Yeah. It's going back to us not being in the present, us not focusing on the now. We are focusing on the future and oftentimes it goes back to, as we mentioned before, our experiences in the past that lead to this kind of assumption. Again, we tend to be in that survival mode. So immediately when something looks huge Uh, almost impossible or difficult, then immediately we're going to default on that catastrophic kind of thinking. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. This is just beyond this. That mountain is too tall for me to climb it. Therefore, I'm not going to even try it because I know that I'm going to be disappointed. Right. So we sabotage ourselves. It's a, it's a pure self sabotage attitude. And what I would say to you is that there might be a possibility that is hard, there might be hurdles. Of course, there are going to be hurdles. That's what life is about. But instead, it's a mindset shift and how we label things in here is instead of seeing that as, a, as something impossible, then see it as a challenge, see it as something that is going to inspire self growth right? See it as something that you want to set, a challenge you want or a goal you want to set for yourself. And you're not just going to throw yourself out there just without any any preparation, but then putting instead take the time to prepare yourself, what things you need to have, what things you need to learn, what people you need to talk to in order for you to get there. What kind of support system do you need to have in order for you to climb that mountain, right? It's the whole idea of setting yourself up for success and not labeling the situation because it looks like a huge mountain, immediately label it as impossible, but rather as a challenge that you want to set for yourself. And you want to be realistic. That's why you prepare yourself, because you know that you have to prepare yourself to take such a big risk, right? And, uh, and just see it that way as opportunities uh, for growth instead of immediately going into that survival mode that we we go to. I sometimes go through that. So it's our default mode, but then it's correcting that thinking, Immediately. I mean, being aware of that thinking, that thought and immediately correcting it and uh, and go back to what needs to be done for me to get there. What do I have to do? What attitude do I have to have if I want opportunities? Am I going to allow just this stress and defeat to take over my mental space or am I going to create some space, some mental space in order for me to be able to deal with the hurdles that you're going to find out, you're going to experience them. That's part of life. So you come ready. You know, you want to be realistic. We're not talking about unicorns and rainbows. We're talking about it is possible. And there are circumstances, very few, that is, it's very, very, very difficult, but it's usually because you are not ready You're not prepared and you don't have the tools. When you have your tools, you have your inner circle, you have that support you need, you can get there. It might take longer, it might not, but it's the whole idea is how you set up your mindset and how you label situations. Labeling is so powerful, so, so powerful. The label you choose to give to that circumstance or situation will determine the mindset that you will have moving forward.
0: This is a perfect segue into something I wanted to make sure to get into. You said, I think you used the word rejected in your last bit there. And I I think working with artists, you have very, very like deep, unique perspective on the entire concept of rejection. And I think we all know that half the reason people don't start something is because of that fear. We started Mm -hmm. with talking about fear. I think people Mm -hmm. don't start things or even try because they're scared Yep. More that, that that, they're not going to be able to do it, but that they'll get rejected. What is your best advice for reframing rejection and staying mm-hmm. motivated when you've experienced rejection?
1: I always say the same thing that I mentioned before. Label that experience as a learning experience. That's the key. This is a learning experience instead of a failure. But this is what happens when you label things properly. Or not properly when you experience that rejection especially with when it comes to artists that are, say that they apply to these call for artists for this amazing show that they've been wanting to get into and they don't get into the show, or a person who doesn't get the job that they thought that they wanted for themselves, or a person that was not admitted to that program at that specific university, right? The whole idea of, you know, sometimes our minds are so narrow that we don't see the uh, the possibilities. But when you label something as a learning experience, this is what happened. Number one, when it's a learning experience, by default, your body is going to be and your mind, the reaction is going to be positive because you're like, you know what? this is something that I learned not to do again or not to repeat again. Now I learned that in order for me to do this again, I need to prepare myself better, or I need to see other possibilities, not to just narrow down to one or two possibilities. I I need to see things broader than have this narrow mind. I learned that maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I need to prepare myself a little bit better. I learned that, that maybe I need to consult with other people. I learned that Fill in the blanks. Right. And immediately you're going to feel you're not going to put yourself down when you are talking about the things that you have learned. Right. You're not going to start like like hammering your head because learning equals to it's almost satisfaction and feeling good about it you know what after all it wasn't yeah it's frustrating and it's okay to give yourself that opportunity and space to deal with that frustration i always tell uh, my student members that you know i give you 24 hours to whine complain cry let it out and you know be upset be mad if you want to eat a whole pint of ice cream do that 24 hours after that 24 hours now let's rationalize things let that part of you that is your manager to help you with this now what are we going to do next what are we going to do what are the options what are the possibilities what's next right you give yourself space to feel upset upset right to to have all those emotions but you kind of have to give like a timeline and that's kind of like the difference between allowing all these Circumstances is failure to consume you to the point that you experience symptoms of the depression or having a panic attack or anxiety versus rationalize things. And then after you give that yourself that opportunity to express those emotions, now let's that manager part of you take over and okay, what's next? What needs to be tweaked? What needs to be changed? What needs to be learned? Now, if you label it as a failure immediately what's going to happen you're going to start sabotaging yourself you're going to feel bad about yourself and it's going to be more difficult for you to get out of that hole because you're allowing this negativity to consume you and you're going to be so consumed by these doubts and insecurities that you're not going to even allow that manager part of you help you with Okay, now what are what we're we gonna do next? So labeling the, the situation makes a huge difference because for failure, you're constantly thinking that you're defeated. When it comes to learning experiences, you are like more rational about it and trying to figure out, okay, what's next for me? That door was closed. Now what do I need to do to pursue other doors and keep knocking for other
0: opportunities? It's a mindset game. Mm -hmm. It it is a mindset game. Mm -hmm. And I love the 24 hours to whine and complain and then, you know, feel all the feelings. And And it's okay. Yeah.
1: You have to.
0: I know we're focused on your current book, but because I know in the audience might not that you also have tons of expertise in parenting and mindfulness. I have to let this bleed into this question. My kids are getting older and oh my God, watching them. I don't even want to say fail because we're not labeling it as a failure, mm-hmm. but watching them not make a team and watching them come home with something they weren't proud of at school. It's really tricky to navigate. Yes. I got to ask you what, what's your best advice? Like, how do you talk to your children Yes, when yeah. they feel like they failed?
1: Yes. And I, we have talked since they were little, I, uh, we have always my husband and I have always brought this up. Like, oh, uh, you know, when they were younger, they will be, oh, I'm such a failure. And then we will go, well, let's just define that. Let's talk about this for a second. And define what failure is. And, and asking them, what did you learn about this? You know, kind of like shifting it into what was learned. What was learned? Yeah. And what will you avoid next time? So make it again a learning experience. But, uh, but uh, one thing, and now that you know, I have a 17-year-old daughter and a 21 year old son one thing that i have to say here is that feeling of failure when it comes to your children again they don't have the the inner toolbox that we have as adults they don't have the maturity that we have as adults because they don't have that it's very very important that we allow space for them to express those emotions that are going on in their minds you know and talk about them talk about these emotions why you are you are describing yourself like that? What is it? How is that making you feel? Provide that safe space for them to talk about those emotions. And as they're speaking with you, listen, it's very important because we as moms, we want to be super moms. We want to come to the rescue and we want ah, oh, honey, no, that is so not true. I'm telling you, you are the cutest and the nicest, amazing human being. We know we need to listen, use you know, intentional listening and let them express themselves. Because the thing is, if we don't allow them to express themselves and we try to rescue them, two things happen here. The first one they know they're like, okay, there she goes with her, you know, and she's her life lessons or preaching to her. She's not listening to me. She's just trying to fix me. So, you know, when they feel that we're trying to fix them, it's really hurting their self esteem. It's really feeling their ident- her identity and also, you know, being the independency. So we need to try our best as moms and dads not to try to fix and rescue our children, but giving them the space for them to solve, to problem solve. And or when appropriate, we give them the advice that they need. But, you know, try to avoid that rescuing Tendency that we we parents have, you know. So it's very important that we provide that safe space for them to talk about it. And then when the situation is ready, and we as parents we have an, a good idea when they're done, right? Then shift it back into okay. So what did we learn about this? What other possibilities might be out there for you that you want to pursue? The same idea, what other doors we can knock, right? And start teaching them since at a younger age about problem solving, about not allowing a failure or something that didn't go as planned to freeze them and paralyze them, but rather live with that pain for a little while, be with, you know, live with that frustration for a little while, but then give themselves permission to, okay, let's move on.
0: Beautiful. That is... uh... Such inspiring advice. And I know people will definitely take that to heart. Okay, we're coming up on time. I always end my podcast in the exact same way. And that is by asking what's one question women should be asking themselves more. One question.
1: I would say it can it be a question and an exercise at the same time. Please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. One thing that, and this is an exercise I do with our student members too. And my and the parents, when I do my work, my parenting workshops, I invite them to visualize visualize how your life will be like, or will look like if you no longer allow self-sabotage, whether it's fears, insecurities, toxic thoughts, whether it's toxic beliefs, whatever it is to rule your life. So it's more like a visualization exercise. So visualize how your life will be like, or look like if you no longer allow self-sabotage to rule your life and write it down in your journal. And then once you write that, which will be one step you can take today towards that life. So that will be my guided imagery exercise that I would like to invite your uh, listeners to try.
0: Gorgeous. I'm hugely visual. I'm so glad that you went there and shared that. I know people will want to follow you and learn more. So what's the best place to find you? I'm on Instagram
1: and uh, at Dr. Yanina Gomez, Dr. Yanina Gomez, and also Facebook, same Dr. Yanina Gomez. I would love to get to know them better.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate this time.
0: I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at Whitney Woman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.